You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Okay, if you've um, got your Bibles handy, we're going to be covering a lot of territory in the Word today, so you might struggle to keep up, but uh, we'll see how we go. This is the third part of You Must Be Born Again. Uh, Many years ago, Mel and I had the privilege of introducing a friend of ours to Jesus Christ. Uh, We were able to pray for him as he put his trust in the Lord, and uh, he seemed at the time to have been mightily touched by God. He reported for a number of weeks after the way he sensed God's presence, and miraculous things seemed to happen uh, as he travelled from Melbourne back to South Australia where he, he lived. Um, and it seemed that God was by his side all the way. But we later heard him say, I can't remember how long, but some a few years later, say to someone, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of them born-again types. And uh, sorry to tell you and to tell him that if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. Because Jesus made no bones about it, you must be born again. Now, I don't think he meant to suggest that there are some Christians who are not born again and some who are. He wasn't, to my knowledge, thinking in theological terms when he made that statement. What I think he was saying, uh, in not particularly clear words probably, was that there are some Christians who claim to be born again that just in your face and pushy and overbearing, and I'm sure you've all met them at different times, they're judgmental and lacking in grace and pressure you as if your salvation is entirely dependent on their efforts. And uh, I think... That's what he was probably referring to when he says, I'm not one of them born-again types. But if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. There's no in-betweens. There's no other sort. Sometimes some of these people might be caught up in legalism. Um, Sometimes it's immaturity. They haven't learnt enough about their own Christian faith and their security in the Lord to be uh, more gracious in the way they deal with other people. Sometimes I've experienced a great joy, like I mentioned last week, a friend of mine that had this uh, ex-bikey and drug dealer had an incredible conversion experience and was in my face the whole time about Jesus Christ. And uh, sometimes there's a great joy they've experienced. They want you to share it and uh, understand it as well. Sadly, some of us who have been born again for a while can forget the joy we once had. Lord, I pray that that won't be the case for us. Would you restore that joy to us that we had of of our salvation? Two weeks ago, we looked at the necessity of being born again. We've inherited the spiritual DNA of our first father, Adam, and we can't, because of that, relate to a holy and pure God as we are. So we need a new start, but we need more than a new start. We need a new life. We need a life that puts away the old sinful nature and replaces it with a new, pure nature. We need to be born from above. We need to be born of God. We need a new father whose spiritual DNA is holy and pure 
and righteous. We need to be born again. Last week, we looked at what are some of the signs, some of the evidence that we're born again. Is it a powerful and emotional experience that we've had some time in the past? Well, a number of you have had that sort of experience. But is that the evidence? Not according to the Word of God. Though the Bible shows it can sometimes happen that way, Paul on the Damascus Road would be a classic example of a major, dramatic, born-again experience at a particular point in time. And some of us have experienced that, some of us haven't. Some of us can't point to a time where we said that was when I was born again. Problem is, if we're looking for a one-off past experience for the evidence that we're born, born again, we can sometimes have a false sense of security. Now, our friend that said he was not one of those born-again Christians hasn't shown much evidence in the last ten years or something that he has been born again. So he might have had a mighty experience with God, but there's no evidence measured against the word that he has actually been born again. And we know that Jesus said that on, on the last day there will be some that will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we perform miracles and cast out demons and so on in your name? And Jesus replied, I never knew you. Get away from me, I never knew you. So the risk of pinning our, our hopes on a, a, an event like that, as dramatic and as emotional as it may be at the time, is that we may imagine we're born again when we're actually not. And we might hear those terrifying words, get away from me, I never knew you, one day. The reason why I'm worried about people pinning their hopes on a one-off event like that is because of our friend who hasn't shown any evidence. And plenty of other people have been through that. And I had an experience when I was a teenager that I thought was a born-again experience. But for 15 years, there was zero evidence. When I look back now, I think, no, that wasn't a born experience, again experience. It was God maybe showing me the reality of himself, but it certainly wasn't a change. Certainly not by biblical standards. It's not the strength of your past experience that will reveal to you or to the world that you're born again. It's your present experience, your present Christian walk and it's the present trajectory of your life. Much of the biblical evidence we looked at last week came from 1 John. We saw that uh, sin is no longer attractive to us. It's no longer desirable. We struggle with it. We're disappointed that we can't seem to get on top of it. We long to be free from it. We also saw that those who are genuinely born again will have a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for them, we care about them, we look forward to meeting with them. We also saw that according to the word, we will want to obey God. We will desire to do righteousness. And ultimately, we will overcome the world. That's obviously fully, finally and fully revealed on the last day when we stand face to face with Jesus. But in the meantime, the fact that we can stand in the face of opposition, persecution, ridicule, uh, distractions from the world, all those sorts of things, is some of the evidence that we're genuinely born again. 
And of course we have a new hope and a new confidence in our eternal state and in the Lord's ability to keep us until the last day. If we have those evidences in our life in increasing measure over time, then we can have a more certain confidence that we're born again than a thousand emotional experiences could ever provide. The evidence is founded on what the Word of God says, not on what our emotions or experience might tell us. John wrote that we may know that we have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life if you have those things in increasing measure in your life. If you see that trajectory of your life rising upward to be more like Christ, that's a much greater evidence than any experience. Of course, if we lack the evidence that the Bible shows us, we need to question the reality of our new birth and the reality of whatever experience it may be that we, we, we went through. You will know them by their fruit, Jesus said. It's the fruit that reveals the health of a tree. It's not the seedling that springs up when it's planted. It's the fruit that it bears months, years, decades down the track. A seedling could be anything. It could even be a weed that's springing up. But when it grows up into a strong, healthy tree bearing good fruit, you have evidence that the seed that was planted was a healthy seed and that the tree that has grown is healthy. A healthy, if a healthy seed is planted and the tree is properly cared for, good fruit will appear. There's nothing surer. A healthy tree, well cared for, will produce good fruit. If you can't see these fruits in your life, then you need to check your spiritual state. And if you conclude that you haven't been born again, then you need to cry out to God. You need to turn to Christ. You need to believe in him. You need to repent of your selfishness and sin. You need to receive Christ. Put your trust in him for a new birth, for eternal salvation. Now that's not the last word on the new birth. When we're born again, there's many, many things that become true of us that previously didn't apply to us in any way at all. And these should be a great encouragement to you if you are truly born again. Conversely, again, if you haven't been born again, they should be a great encouragement to you to seek the new birth, to cry out to God for it. Being born again is a radical change. It's not an evolution into something better. It is a radical change at the very core of our beings. There's so much that changes that we probably couldn't even document it all. I doubt whether all the worlds could contain the books, as John wrote, about the things that Jesus did. If we were to document everything that the new birth does in us, we probably couldn't contain, contain it in all the books in the world because there is so much that changes. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning. I won't make too many comments on them. Um, for the most part, I'll allow the Bible to speak for itself. And uh, as I say, we're going to be very scripture heavy, but you should be happy about that because God's word is more reliable than my word is on this. 
Now what follows is not so much a checklist of the evidence that we have been born again. Um, if you missed that last week, we covered, that's what we covered, and I encourage you to download it. It's a checklist this week of the many things that are true of those who are born again. They don't apply to anyone who is not born again. None of these apply to a person who is not born again. Hence the need for us to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, to test ourselves. Or as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Frightening thought. Firstly, when we are born again, we're a new creation. Paul wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has come, uh, sorry, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. St. Augustine, the great theologian of the 5th century, understood this reality. Augustine, when he was a young man, was a promiscuous young man. He not only had a regular lover, he was well known amongst the prostitutes in the city he lived in. Augustine basically lived for his own pleasure. If it felt good, do it. Good Nike slogan, hey? Just do it. Sex was his vice and his addiction. But one day he was in great anguish of soul and he went off by himself. He was in a, uh, a garden, I think, with some friends. He went off by himself in great anguish and he heard a sing-song voice saying, take up and read, take up and read. It sounded like a little child, but he wasn't familiar with this particular song, but take up and read, take up and read. So he went back to his friends and he opened, his, opened the Bible at random his eyes fell on a passage in Romans chapter 13 that said, Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Augustine writes about that, that instantly, at the end of this sentence, all the darkness of doubt vanished away and he was born again. He was born again by the washing of the water of the word and he was born again of the Holy Spirit. Sometime after this, Augustine ran into one of his former mistresses on the street. As soon as he recognised her, he quickly turned away, turned around and tried to get away in the opposite direction. The woman, surprised at seeing him and surprised at seeing him turn away so suddenly and head off, cried out to him, Augustine, it is I! And Augustine, continuing to move away, cried out, Yes, but it is not I. Augustine knew the new creation. He understood that he was no longer the same person he had once been. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. When a born-again person becomes a born-again person, they become a changed person. Changed on the inside, the gospel changes you. The word of God changes you. The spirit of God changes you. The blood of Christ changes you. It is not I. Anymore. 
when we're born again, we are no longer who we once were. We might still and we will still struggle with the desires of the flesh, the temptations and the trials that are common to life, but our heart is changed. Our spirit is made new. We have new spiritual DNA. We have a new father. No longer do we have Adam as our father. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.24, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So when we're born again, we experience a real birth. Nicodemus couldn't understand how it was possible to get back into his mother's womb to be born again. And Jesus, of course, wasn't suggesting that. But we experience a real birth, even though it's not something we can see with our physical eyes. And though invisible, the new birth is real, really real. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Jesus said, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And John also wrote in his letter, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We experience a real birth to a new father. We have new brothers and sisters. But the world doesn't understand or recognise it because the world still has Adam as their father. We are now of a different family entirely. The new birth changes our heart Not our beating physical heart, but our dead spiritual heart. It makes it alive to God. It changes us, as I said, from the inside out. Changes our desires. Changes our motivation. And God himself does this work inside us. We can't do it ourselves. It was promised back in Ezekiel. Chapter 36, where Ezekiel wrote, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah also wrote in chapter 32, Verse 38, they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever, for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. What incredible promise of God that he will always be faithful when he changes that heart, when he gives you that new heart. Now we're also spiritually circumcised when we're born again. Physical circumcision was a sign that the Jews were the people of God. For an outsider to become a Jew, he had to undergo circumcision as part of that process. But circumcision wasn't the goal. Circumcision was pointing forward to a spiritual reality. 
It was pointing forward to a future spiritual circumcision of the heart, one where worldly desires would be cut off from us and we would become the people of God ourselves. And the circumcision of the heart causes us to love God. It's written in Deuteronomy chapter 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 2. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. One of the markers of someone who is still uncircumcised in heart, is that they don't love God and they resist the Holy Spirit. They resist the gospel. You remember when Stephen was arrested for speaking about Jesus, the Pharisees demanded he explain himself. Instead of apologising to them, or even instead of giving an explanation to them, he preached a history of the Jews. And then he tore strips off the Pharisees when he said to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. The Pharisees, you can imagine, didn't take that very well. But there's a hardness to the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the heart of someone who has not been born again. Let's make sure that none of us are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ear. The new birth also produces a new nature in us. Everything, as we said the last few weeks, reproduces according to its kind. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Even trees reproduce according to their kind. They reproduce by producing seed or fruit. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, so every Healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognise them by by their fruits. Prior to being born again, the only fruit we ever produced was bad fruit because we were diseased trees spiritually. None of our good works, as good as they may have been in our eyes, were good in God's eyes. None of it produced good fruit, because we were not spiritually healthy. But by the grace of God, when we're born again, we're given a new nature, one that now produces good fruit instead. We're no longer thorn bushes, we're now fig trees. For we are his workmanship, it tells us in Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we're no longer descended from Adam, 
we now trace our descent spiritually directly to God himself. The Bible talks about this almost like it's talking about a change of clothes. In Ephesians 4.22 it says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This new man is a partaker of the nature of God himself. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And again, according to the Bible, when we're born again, our old man has been crucified, has died and has been buried. It's language that is meant to emphasize the irrevocable nature of the new birth. Listen to what the Bible has to say about it. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we've died. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. For you have died, it tells us in Colossians 3.3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We were crucified. We died. We were buried. But crucifixion, death and burial still leave us alienated from God. So God takes it one step further. He raises us from the dead. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now God doesn't doesn't just raise us to new life, he allows us to partake of his life and his power. Abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. And Ephesians 3.20 tells us, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. We were previously in the flesh. Now we're in the spirit. Romans 8.5 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Not only that, We've been translated from the the earthly realm to heavenly places, even while we still live here on the earth. Ephesians 2.6 He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. John 17, Jesus said, I have given them your word and the the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And we've been taken from the realm of darkness and brought into the realm of light. We no longer need to scurry like cockroaches to hide in the darkness in case our evil deeds get exposed. Rather, we can enjoy the light We can live in the light because thanks to the work that God has done in us by his Holy Spirit, our deeds are now righteous. Ephesians 5.8 says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And in 1 Peter Sorry, I'm jumping ahead, am I? First Peter, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We've been released from slavery to sin. We now serve a new master. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In Romans 6, it tells us, But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. As if all those things aren't amazing enough in themselves, 
the Bible has much, much, much more to say about those who are born again. It says those who are born again are justified before God now. It says they are being sanctified now. It says they will one day be glorified. It says that we are adopted, redeemed, forgiven, united with Christ. We are made alive. We have peace with God. We are reconciled to the Father. We have access to the Father. We're members of his household. We're holy and blameless. We face no condemnation. We are his workmanship. We're a holy temple. We are the bride of Christ. We are the household of God. We are citizens of heaven. Every one of those things is true of every single person that has been born again. Not one of them is true of a person who hasn't been born again. So I said, being born again is radical. It changes everything. The Bible also tells us plenty about what would be an appropriate response for us in light of the truth that we've been born again. Romans 12.2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians 3.9 tells us, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And Paul wrote to the Galatians, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. What a list. But I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In spite of our friend claiming not to be one of those born-again types of Christians, the truth is if you are not born again, you are not a Christian at all. Not any sort of Christian at all. 
As I've said over the last three weeks, though, we can't do this for ourselves. We can't born ourselves again. It's not our will, our good efforts or our ancestry that brings this about. It's not our sacrificial service to others. It's not our upbringing, our race, our gender. None of these things matter when it comes to the new birth. It's a work entirely of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's done on the basis of the completed work of Jesus Christ. Done on the basis of his life of obedience, his death, his resurrection. The new birth is made available to us on the basis of the cross of Christ. Our role is to believe. Our role is to put our trust in Christ. You recall that John started this gospel off by writing about Jesus, that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Have you received him? If not, will you do that now? And if you will, or if you have, you will have discovered that the new birth changes every important thing about you. It brings you from eternal death to eternal life. And there's nothing more radical than that. Father, we thank you for the new birth. We thank you not just that that we're born again, but we thank you for all the other things you have done for us, redeemed us, adopted us, saved us, a new heart, a new spirit, a new desire to serve you, to follow you, to love you. Thank you, Lord, that uh, these things are beyond our counting that you've done within us, but you've done it anyway by the grace, your grace, by the power of the cross to defeat sin, to defeat Satan by the power of the Holy Spirit to take out hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. Lord, we thank you that you have done that for those of us who are here this morning, Lord. I pray that you have done that for those who are here this morning, for those who would hear this at a later date, Lord. I pray that that will be a reality for them. Lord, would you bring new birth, new hearts, new spirits to our friends, to our family, to our loved ones. Would you bring new birth, new hearts, new spirits to the people of this city, Lord? Would you do the work, Lord, that only you can do? And Lord, we look forward to that day, one day when we will meet people that we didn't realise that whose hearts were changed because of the word we spoke to them, the chance encounter we had with them, the prayer we prayed with them, and maybe lost contact, Lord. We look forward to the work that you do in those hearts. And Lord, for those who have been through a radical, powerful, dramatic, emotional experience in the past but have, have walked away from it, Lord, we, we pray that you will draw them back to the work that you have done. 
that you'll make their new birth a real new birth and not just an emotional experience, that you will guide them on paths of righteousness. We pray for those, Lord, our friends and our families that have abandoned or seem to have abandoned their faith. Lord, that you will stir their hearts to seek you afresh. We pray, Lord, for real born-again experiences, not just emotionalism. Lord, we know there is nothing more necessary for us as men and women than that we be born again. So, Father, we pray that you do that work in all our friends and family and in all those we don't yet know and in nations where we don't have any reach, Lord, would you still do that work of bringing about new birth and eternal salvation. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.